busy uh, moment of the year. Yeah, so there's, usually there's when are the events in the region? It's between October <laughs> and November. Uh, I think I think Q2 and Q3 are the busiest quarters um, and early Q4 as well. I mean, as, as everyone's trying to wrap up the year and, and, and I mean, we are always, I mean, it doesn't matter where we are from, human tend to be last minute. So, so, so I think a lot of events happen in October, November. So yeah, that's why. <laughs> Got it. it seems that we are almost uh, live, but still waiting for Mary to advise us. And what about you, Tar Tarek? Uh, I've, I'm, I'm based in KL, but I travel to um, the Middle East a lot. Got it. Wow. Yeah, so um, I cover the uh, emerging markets across uh, South Asia and the Middle East. Got it. Well done. Perfect. And it seems that we are live. Uh, welcome to our panelists today and to our audience. So just a brief intro about Scale Up Heroes. Scale Up Heroes is the um, Scale Up Academy's podcast. Uh, it's a Scale Up Live show where the best teams globally share how they are scaling their businesses. And in this case, how um, the investor panel is helping their portfolios to, to scale. Every Monday, 11.30 uh, p.m. Singapore and uh, KL, 4.30 p.m. London and, and you know, 8.30 a.m. San Francisco. So we cover uh, companies and VCs from all over the world. It's, it's a great pleasure to say that it's the, for the first time we'll have an investor panel and the first time that will be just focusing on Southeast Asia. And I'm really proud of having with us today Tiago uh, Alves, the VP of Asia Pacific at Aptoid, uh, Victor Schuhe, the managing partner at Vin Capital, Vidit Agrawal, the angel investor and venture partner at Elevate VC, and Tarek Hussein, the VP at Gobi Partners um, based in KL. So, Really a pleasure to have you guys with us. Today, the moderator will be Tiago. Uh, so Tiago, will pass the word to you and yeah, enjoy the panel. And by the way, final topic, and of course, this is a very important, we'll be discussing uh, scaling up in, this, in Southeast Asia from an investor uh, perspective so for the first time in the show. Thank you so much. And Tiago, please feel free to, to move forward. Thank you, Mike. Um... So to start, uh, something very uh, briefly, uh, in this order that uh, uh, Mike uh, introduced us, uh, just uh, say uh, a little bit about uh, uh, yourselves and where you're uh, joining us uh, today and a little bit about your company. So starting uh, with myself, uh, as Mike mentioned, I'm uh, Tiago. I work with a, a, a startup from Europe and I've been based in uh, Singapore uh, for the last three years, and I'm responsible to, uh, for expanding the business here in uh, Southeast uh, Asia. And um, I'm calling you today from uh, Jakarta. I'm here to attend an event. So passing the word now to the next panelist, uh, I think is Victor. Yep. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me here. I think this is the first time I'm doing a podcast at 11.30 p.m. local time in Malaysia. Um, as, as mentioned, I'm dialing in from KL Malaysia, um, a bit of an introduction to my company. So Vin Capital, we are an early stage VC. We invest into a C2 Series A. 
um, we look at Southeast Asia as a whole. But of course, uh, having said that, we are also talking to investment opportunities coming from Europe, Taiwan, um, Japan and Korea as well, that has an, a, a strong Southeast Asia angle. And I guess for, for us, the, the, the real opportunity that we see is how do we actually bridge the traditional businesses with the startups and create a, some sort of a, a synergy ecosystem. Um, I think um, we definitely, we, I'm excited to be on this panel and definitely it's good to see that um, we have a diverse um, um, nationality on this panel. Hopefully the next few ones could be as exciting as this one. Thank you. Edith. Hi everyone, my name is Vidit Agarwal. I'm based in Singapore and I'm calling from Bangladesh. Um, I am an active angel investor focused on Southeast Asia, India and US. I've been doing this for four years and that is quite a passion for me. I'm also a venture partner at Elevate VC. It's a new fund based out of Singapore. We recently launched it focused on deep tech. Uh, we've done a few deals and we are very excited to explore more in the region. Before this, my last role was CEO at Caro, which is a used car marketplace based in Southeast Asia. And before that, I spent five years at Uber. Thank you. Tarek? Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Tarek Hussain. I'm, with, uh, I'm a VP of investments with Gobi Partners. Uh, just a quick overview of Gobi. We are an um, Asian-based uh, VC firm focusing on early and growth stage investments across China, Hong Kong, and Southeast Asia. Um, what I do in Gobi is I head up the uh, Takwa Tech practice. Um, and what that is, it's a vertical that we carved out uh, focusing on Muslim, uh, focusing on the Muslim market, where we target entrepreneurs that use technology to serve Muslim businesses, communities, um, as well as consumers. Um, and because of that, I look at companies that are in parallel or trying to connect uh, the Middle East, South Asia, and Southeast Asia. Thank you. Um, funny enough, uh, Tarek uh, is from Gobi Partners. Gobi is uh, one of the investors in our Series A round. And uh, yeah. Victor used to work for, uh, <laughs> for Gobi. And Victor was actually the first person I met uh, from Gobi. So it's, it's yeah. funny uh, now to be here in the panel with you guys. Of, uh, friendly faces uh, and on this yeah, panel. Yeah, more reunion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So the, the first thing that I, I thought to just um, uh, kick off this, uh, the, this, the, this podcast is, um, uh, I'm sure some people listening to this podcast, they know about Southeast Asia, maybe they even uh, live here. But for anyone that uh, is not very familiar to Southeast Asia, I'd like you to just uh, briefly uh, introduce why this region is uh, interesting for startups and why you as investors uh, believe that this region is uh, uh, an interesting region to be here. So um, starting with you, Victor, please. Yep, sure. Um, as an overview, I think Southeast Asia is exciting because we have close to about 680 million people um, in terms of population. 
and we have um, 10 countries with more than 10 different kind of languages and dialects. And of course, we are multicultural in the sense that, you know, different people from different countries has different religion and beliefs. Even, even if you look at one single country like Thailand, Vietnam, um, Malaysia, you have people from, from different kind of background. So what, what really makes Southeast Asia exciting is really the, the kind of high barrier of entry um, 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 for, in, for instance, I think um, if you compare um, Southeast Asia to China to, to US, consumers in China and US are tend to be a bit more homogeneous, given the fact that there's a lot more consistency or, 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 or you know, just the brought up themselves are, are quite similar. Whereas in Southeast Asia, you're looking at, you know, multiple different markets where, where, you know, data is not available online and there's still a lot of inefficiencies. So I think as an entrepreneur, as a VC, we are interested in this region because there's just so many problems that we can solve. Especially right now, you, you look at, you know, the big economies um, from China, you look at Korea, they are all coming over to Southeast Asia because this is a natural expansion. We have whatever that the world is looking for. If you want, if you talk about Chinese population, we have the most Chinese population you know, compared to other regions in the world. And if you talk about the largest population of, of Koreans outside of Korea, they are all in Vietnam. And and and, and we're seeing a lot more of, of Japanese going to Indonesia, for example. Yes, they have been around, but the number of of, of people who's been coming over to Southeast Asia is just tremendous. And and that's really. Um, um, what makes us excited about Southeast Asia. And that's also the reason why for Vin, we invest a lot in the tourism sector because that is what keeps the economy grow and that's what takes the whole you know, opportunity set within this region. Thank you. Vidit? Hello, Vidit? He did warn us that he might lose the connection. <laughs> so Tarek, can we go oh, for- I echo what uh, Victor oh, is you, you, okay. pretty exciting, but a very heterogeneous team. Hello, can you, hello, can you hear me? Yes, we yeah. can now. Hello, yeah. can you hear me? Apologies for that. Uh, no, I, I was saying that I completely echo what Victor is saying. Um, it is a very interesting market with 10 different countries out of which are nine are developing countries. Um, the infrastructure is being built, it's a rising middle class and there is a lot of opportunity in the market at the moment. And as you know, this young generation is coming in, um, they are solving a lot of problems. They're building startups across the region which are, which are focused on the core problems they've seen as they're growing up. Right. So there's a lot of opportunity in this market and it's very exciting. Um, also, it's very different from India and China when it comes to culture, language, religion. And it's just a very exciting opportunity that's offered to us and I love investing in Southeast Asia. Thank you. Tarek? Um, yeah, I think I agree with, with, with uh, both panels. Um, the size of the Southeast Asian market is, is you know, it's very sizable. You know, if you if the ASEAN countries were, you know, grouped into one, um, one huge nation, it would rank third in population and number seven in GDP globally, right? You've got uh, a huge population. You've got young population with 40% under the age of 30. You've got a sizable internet economy and it's just growing with more and more people coming online. And what's great about Southeast Asia is we've got, incredible amount of inefficiencies in industries, which creates a lot of opportunities for startups. Yeah, so um, going now to the, the, the challenge and uh, Victor touched this uh, a little bit. And when you're saying like uh, all these different uh, cultures, countries, so on, 
I just remind you know, uh, I'm reading this book. Let me share with you guys. I'm sure you, you know this book because it's quite famous, right? Yeah. <laughs> the four hour work week. And uh, actually, today in the airplane, uh, he was saying like uh, he only accepted customers from US. That's it. Okay. Because <laughs> he just didn't want to deal with customers and everything for other countries, and then the margin will not be there. So it's funny that now uh, Victor was touching on about this. Uh, uh, different countries, language, and so on, different uh, laws. So the question I have uh, for you guys, and um, now we start on VDIT, so I'll keep changing to make sure that uh, I give a chance to, for everyone to be the first uh, one to answer. So looking at your uh, uh, portfolio companies, um, can you just list a few of the top challenges that you see them facing when they try to go from their home country to another country in uh, Southeast Asia? Sure. I think, you know, what we see in Southeast Asia is that a lot of companies start in Singapore. Singapore is the home base because it's a great place to experiment, test everything out. Uh, things are smooth, registering a company, everything's easy. But once you go international, I think regulations, especially for fintech companies, are not that easy. Uh, often in markets, in Thailand, it may take one year to just to get your entity registered. It may take another year in Indonesia just to get a lending license, right? So Singapore sometimes makes you comfortable, but once you come out of Singapore and come to Southeast Asia, it can be very challenging. The second, which is the pain point of most industries is getting the right talent. Now, as a startup, once you're in Vietnam, Thailand, you're not only competing with the top uh, consulting houses, you're not only competing with the local banks and the international banks, but you're also competing with the unicorns of this region who are competing for top talent. And it's very tough to acquire that top talent in that market, the quality, the skills that will help you you know, move forward. And often you see CEOs who are super aggressive in expanding, especially in the first country. You see them running between their home market, their international market, behaving as a product manager, going out and raising funds, and it can be very challenging. Thank you, Vidit. Tarek? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think a clear one would be the lack of talent, right? Um, and I don't think Southeast Asia suffers from a lack of talent. I think what we suffer from is, or what startups or scale-ups suffer from is looking for the right man for the right job or the right woman for the right job, for the matter of fact. Uh, you know, someone who just, I mean, just having the skill set is not enough. Finding someone that understands the, the culture of the startup, the ambitions and goals of that startup, it's not very easy to find when you scale from, for instance, Malaysia to Indonesia or Malaysia to Philippines or Singapore to Thailand. Right, I think that's a, that's a very common issue that we see across our, our investees. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, of our companies, you know, when they raise, a, a, a post their A round or a pre-B round, they start looking at scaling into company or countries with large, sizable populations like Indonesia without realizing the legal and the regulatory framework of that country. Right, uh, it's not easy to operate in a country like Indonesia, for instance, to set up a company, you need a paid up, if, if I'm not mistaken, of 1.5 million US, right? Not many startups have that kind of capital. So I think that's, uh, you know, having partners in, in local um, countries that you want to expand into or scale into, that's something that is tough to come by as well. Someone that you can find that you can trust, right? So I think these are the two key challenges that entrepreneurs face in Southeast Asia.
Thank you. Victor. Yeah, um, I think I, I totally agree with what Vidit and Tarek just mentioned. Um, the, the only point that I would like to, you know, extrapolate um, on is really, um, well, it's actually a point that, that that's kind of related to what Tarek just mentioned, um, partnerships. Um, most of the time, entrepreneurs, when they expand into a new market, they, they tend to try to do everything on their own. Um, you never, the, the first thing that crosses your mind is, you know, how do I hire people to be my employee, my staff, my team members to actually expand into that country? And, 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 and you never really think about, you know, how do you actually create partnership? And that's the reason why there's not much partnerships with local people have, that happens. Um, and I think the, 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 the key challenge or, or in other words, the key gap over here is a sort of, sort of a cultural gap where people just don't have the sense of wanting to create partnerships. Partnerships could happen between startups and startups. Partnership could also happen between startups and existing giants or existing large, large enterprises that are already in a particular country that you're looking at. In, in, a, in the past couple of years, you, you see you know, VCs or startups, we live in our own hippie world, our hipster world, where, where you know, you know, being, being an entrepreneur is cool and everything. Um, and, and we live in our own world in a sense where we actually don't talk enough with the traditional guys. But now I think it's starting to change, but that needs to be faster because without the, co the collaboration with all these traditional players, it's very difficult for any business to scale. It is also going to be very, very difficult for large enterprises or traditional businesses to want to you know, expand it to new business areas as much as they are going to spend money on investing into incubating ideas. But it is not the same as having a team of entrepreneurs who runs business um, based on, you, you know, just the genetically, it's just very different. So I think the main gap over here is the cultural gap that, that leads to a lack of desire to create partnerships. Interesting that you said that because uh, I, I read you in terms of the importance of these partnerships. But I've seen sometimes when I talk with other startups is sometimes they're afraid to partner with this traditional business or this giant because they are afraid that this giant is just trying to learn the way yeah. they do things and then they'll uh, will copy them. But that's that's like that's a normal uh, business uh, risk. Yeah. Um, and. Um, it, it, it also, I, well, the three of you mentioned a bit of the, the, the talent, right? And it was a question that I was going to ask uh, later, but since you guys touch uh, uh, on this topic, uh, so you, you've told about uh, sometimes finding the right uh, talent, you told about the cultural uh, uh, challenge. So one of the things I wanted uh, to ask you guys to, 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 to share with us from your experience, from your portfolio, come Say the example uh, where uh, you start in Singapore and you try to expand to a, a new country. What, what, what will be the mix of uh, the people that you uh, you hire for that uh, expansion? Because at, you like to have someone from the Singapore team that already knows the business and you can trust to, to go to that uh, new market. But uh, this is someone that maybe doesn't understand the, the, the local uh, cultural challenge. And then if you just hire uh, people in the local country, like a more uh, junior roles, then you don't have that uh, expertise. So basically what I'm trying to ask you and starting with you, Tarek, is um, what is the, the secret sauce for this mix? Okay, so let's imagine this company from Singapore is going to expand now, let's say Indonesia, for example. Who, who do they hire, right? Do they do a mix? Like they send some of their own people that already work in Singapore and then also get some... Uh, 
more senior person in Indonesia, but then how, who do you give the responsibility? You know what, what I'm getting at. Yeah, right? yeah, I understand. I understand. Yeah, I think I think to answer that that question, I think the right mix. Um, I think there's there's never a, a right formula um, when you're looking to build a team outside of your local um, HQ country. Uh, but what we like to see is uh, we like to see uh, the founder itself uh, be positioned in the new market for at least a couple of months to understand the dynamics of that market, right? I think that's that's obviously the first step uh, or what we like to see uh, an entrepreneur that is willing to to move to open up a new market. Uh, number two, I think the best the or what we've seen or the most success we've seen are companies that hire a country head, right? And typically they will um, poach this country head from, let's say, for instance, if it's a logistics company, right? And mm -hmm. they've from Singapore, they've scaled into Indonesia. Typically, someone who understands the logistics uh, market and the way a logistics company operates. So it could be someone from a traditional logistics player looking to join a new, more exciting, enterprising, uh, tech-driven uh, logistics uh, company, right? Um, I think that has always been uh, uh, its uh, uh, um, uh, uh, recipe for success when scaling into a new market, right? Finding someone that knows how the, the industry works and operates and then bring them on board as a country head. And I think uh, after that, and this is something that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs uh, uh, don't think about is then hiring someone, uh, and I, I don't like to say HR, I like to say talent acquisition. So hiring uh, a talent acquisition head, right, to handle the other uh, hiring of the, of the business as they scale into a new market. Interesting. Very, very good uh, insights, Tarek. Victor? Um, I think if you talk about talent, I, I just want to put in a different perspective because when, when most people talk about talent, it's really about the working level guys, people who's going to run the boat at night. But the other aspect of talent is really the people, I mean, in, in general, talent means people who will support you in your journey. And that includes your shareholders, that includes your advisors, and that includes your mentors as well. So, I mean, from, from my experience, I've done 20-odd deals in Southeast Asia, obviously a large chunk of them through, through my experience in Gobi. Um, I've looked at how um, most of my portfolio companies have expanded, say, from Malaysia to Thailand, from, from, from Malaysia to Singapore or to Indonesia, et cetera, et cetera. So one thing I realized is that if you have a strong active investor or shareholder who's in a market where you're looking at, that helps a lot. To give, to give you an example, I think um, um, Vidit is probably familiar with one of your ex-competitor, Carsum, uh, 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 since you were from Caro. Uh, um, so so when, when we expanded, um, I mean, I invested into Carsum through Gobi and with Vin Capital, I invested again for the fourth time. So, 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 so when we invested, sorry, when, when the company expanded into Indonesia, we are quite fortunate that uh, I managed to get some Indonesian um, um, investors to invest into the company. And from then on, the growth in that country has become so much easier because of the fact that our shareholders in, in, in that country helped to propel, by, propel the business by, you know, bringing the right kind of introductions, bringing the right kind of, 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 of relationships that helps to scale the business. 
because at the end of the day, you guys, but you need to make sure that you actually provide them with the kind of resources so that they can grow. Yeah, of course. You, you know, it just reminded me uh, uh, of when we we wanted to raise a Series A. We wanted to get local investors like uh, Gobi Partners and Golden Gate. And um, uh, w- one of the, the stories I usually say of how important it is to do what you're saying, Peter, um, was the fact that we wanted to speak with uh, Tencent. I don't know if you remember this. We're having some problem with the antivirus from Tencent. We've been chasing them for almost a year. And then just through Gobi, in two weeks, the problem was solved. So it just yeah. shows how important this, this help can be. Uh, Vidit, yeah. your turn. Uh, I can't echo more on what Victor has said. I think uh, VCs play a very important role. And often I feel startups don't leverage their VCs very well. Same is the case for advisors. All the people who've helped them through earlier are the bright people who opened the doors for them. And startups should go and ask for help. Go and ask for help from angel investors. But I also think on the operational side, the two people who are best, basically the best person to launch is generally the CEO because he understands the core of the business, but also he has limited resources. So it's good to hire a country head, but often you don't have that luxury. Hiring a country head takes time. It can be you know a few months of process. So the best way is generally to find a captain, a lieutenant who understands the business well, somebody who's a hustler, who is out there to you know make things happen aggressive and whom the ceo trusts just send that person out you can go to a market you can figure it out yes there will be some mistakes but you can learn as you build that market but finding that individual whom you blindly trust and believe that this individual will make it happen is very important now it can be your ceo it can be uh, your operations manager it can be someone internal it can be a friend it can be someone from that market Obviously, you have to do a bit of give and take here as a startup, you know, beggars can't be choosers, but find the person you trust the most and you think is the most skilled and he'll help you launch. And often go and ask for help from your, like uh, earlier said, from your advisors, from your VCs, from your friends, anyone you know, it's all about networking in a new market. Yeah. Put, putting your VCs to work for you, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You <laughs> servants for a portfolio as well. Exactly. So, um, Okay, now, uh, Victor, so this, this is a difficult question, uh, which is uh, you're a startup and uh, you're being successful in your country and you're starting to think about expansion. When, when do you know is the right timing, right? Because if it's too soon, uh, you might shoot uh, your own feet uh, because you try to grow too fast and then the business collapse. Uh, if you take too much time, uh, maybe somebody from the other country sees what you're doing in the home country and then just copies you and then it's too late. Yeah. So, yeah, I know it's not easy. Uh, uh, it's not easy to reply about this, but is it what you advise your portfolio? When, when, when do you think is the right timing in the, the, the path of the startup to actually start thinking about expanding to a different markets? Sure. Oh, I mean, that, that, I mean, I, I actually like that question because the honest answer is you never really know. It's very cliche, but you never really know when you're ready for expansion. But the key essence in, in business expansion, especially with Southeast Asia, is that you need to be very, very fast. You want to expand when it's too small so that when you can dial back when you know that, shit, this doesn't, this doesn't work. So you need to be able to you know, go in, fill a market, start ex- ex- attacking the market. When it doesn't work, pull back, re-strategize, and try to, to figure out what you have done wrong 
wrong or done right? Is it because of the fact that you don't understand the market enough, or is it because you don't have enough talent on the ground who can run, you know, run the show for you? So, doesn't matter whether you think you're ready or not, expand. And when you think that you're not ready, at least you're dialing back when the resources that you have deployed is still small. I have seen my portfolio companies who have done that before, went into a new market realized that okay the product doesn't work for the local market down back had to say goodbye to the local team and and really really have to rebuild the product from scratch and went back into the market again and and now striving um, um, um at a much better performance in the new market so key essence just be quick even if you lose you're losing a, just a small chunk of your resources and you're not losing everything rather than you know waiting for the time when the big guys are coming in like you're right if you're too slow someone's just going to copy you yeah. and copy copying is quite easy especially given the kind of resources that we have <laughs> exactly. right? yeah. you know you know victor I, I, i'm sure you, you encountered this i i talk with these startups and we, when we're talking about uh shall they raise uh, uh a round from a vc right oh because we're going to lose uh our equity, I, I usually tell them, there's no time to think, right? Either you think you, you have a chance to actually uh, be successful, yep. then you take it. If you take too much time, there's right now in this moment, yep. somewhere uh, in the MBA class, people are thinking about your business model. And if you don't move too quickly, they'll just uh, do it. So it's interesting your perspective because I agree with that a lot. Uh, Vidit? Yeah. So my answer would be, it depends. It depends on the character of the founders. It depends on the money they have in the bank. It also depends on the product, right? There is a stage for doing it. Sometimes you want to be aggressive, but there's today in Southeast Asia, there's a lot of peer pressure. If you're in Singapore, everyone's telling you, you know, when you are sitting with your founder friends, everyone's like, when are you going to Indonesia? When are you going to Thailand? So as a founder, you should not get into that pressure and launch only when you're ready and when you have the right resources. Launching a market means that now you'll be managing two offices. It's very easy to have everyone in one office and manage them. But as a founder, when you realize that you've got one remote office sitting in Thailand, sitting in Indonesia, often you don't even speak the language, you don't understand the local nuances, it can be very difficult. I don't I believe that launching is very important and you, you want to compete, but also you should be ready. And the most important is going back to the previous points, you know, as long as you can find the right people, you should launch. Because if you don't have the right people and you just want to launch it either for your GMB or for market competition, there is a very high chance you will fail. Uh, to Victor's point, I think pilots make a lot of sense. You pick a market, you decide on a budget, you give yourself a timeline, you use a hacked product and you go into the market and launch, but be ready to pull out as well when you think things are not working out. Okay, thank you, Vidi. That's an interesting perspective. So from my understanding, uh, um, from both you and Victor, it, it doesn't matter the, the time how old the startup is, right? It's just uh, finding that right moment when you think you have the right uh, opportunity and tools to do it. Tarek, what, what is your opinion? Um, I, I, I agree with uh, both panels. Um, I think the, the key is balance, right? Um, I think number one, before you, you can even think of scaling into a new market, you need to ensure that you have a sufficient runway to handle any, you know, unexpected, um, uh, twists and turns as you, as you scale your business in a new market. So I think it's it's about balance at the end of the day, having the right resources, you know, cash, uh, partners in the local market or in the new market, uh, the right hires or the right prospects to hire. Uh, that as well as, you know, making sure your product or your service 
and you know that you have sorted out any nicks and crannies in your local market before taking it abroad right so solving for that number one having making sure that your unit economics for your products is is sound um, as well as having those resources in place to ensure that you will have a successful uh, scale into a new market Okay. And having you know the sufficient contingency plans if things don't work out. Okay, uh, Mike, I just wanted to check with you how much time we have left. Uh, ten, I would say five, seven minutes. Uh, okay, okay. So we have. I had more. One, two, three. Yeah, three questions. Yes, I think we're good. Okay. <laughs> So um, you guys have mentioned some of the things like the importance of uh, uh, talent, uh, the partnerships Victor you mentioned before. Uh, just to share here with the audience, right? Uh, and you mentioned the pilots also, uh, Victor, right? To try and just uh, test the market without putting too much uh, uh, risk on it. So can you just share with us one example, two examples of some of the hacking that uh, your startups have done where you can do these uh, pilots without spending uh, 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 too much money or uh, putting uh, too much risk on it. And uh, starting by myself, um, I know Victor uh, um, knows this because we did this while we were still with Gobi. Uh, we wanted to get some uh, insights for each uh, country in terms of which apps and games were uh, interesting. So we just created this ambassadors program, right? Without paying anybody, we had this face in each country telling us uh, what was important, uh, what was trending in that country. So it was a very easy way to get a foot in the country. So can you guys share a, a few of the, the stories? And I think now is a Vidit, your turn to start. Sure, so I invested in a Vietnamese company, which is about lifestyle uh, experience and um, you know, it's a subscription service and they're pretty popular in Ho Chi Minh and Hanoi. And they've been there for the last one year. But what I like about the co-founder who's actually you know, the launcher in other international markets He's in Thailand, he's in Philippines. He's doing small pilots just in Bangkok, in Manila, testing the market out. He did a lot of homework before he landed in these markets to identify who are the right partners. To Victor's previous point, you know, he identified whom he should be working with through his VC network, through his uh, advisor network, and then he launched there. It's not a massive market he's captured there, but still, whatever he's captured, it really validates the market. So with very little spend, he's already in the market. He's built a sort of a brand for himself and he's hiring the right people just because he's able to show something. Now, he's not a big series, ACDC startup that everyone will come to him, but because he's got a product running there, he's got a product that's live there, he can get that experience to his you know, future hires. So I think that's been a really smart approach where he's tested the market, he started small, but he's done a lot of homework before he entered the market. And that is why he's very successful. Thank you. Tarek? Yeah, so I'll share a story of, uh, of one of our logistics companies that are uh, scaled into from Malaysia into Indonesia. And um, I think uh, with this story, you will understand why it's really important to have a, a strong VC um, backing your, your, your company. So one of our companies, uh, Zoom, Right, they are a last mile logistics player. Uh, when they raised their, you know, following their pre-series A round with uh, Gobi, uh, they wanted to scale into Indonesia, right? 
um, and they were trying to figure out what's the best way to scale into Indonesia, given it's such a huge market, and as the you know the logistics space is extremely competitive, right? So the 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 approach that that uh, was decided was when they scaled into Indonesia, why don't you serve one of Gobi's portfolio companies in Indonesia, right? So what that gives them is that when they scale, they got clients ready for them uh, for to to meet their logistics demand, right? So I think that was a very smart way of doing it, leveraging on your VC's network um, when scaling into a new market with ready-made demand for your company. So when they scaled into Indonesia, they started off with um, they started off doing logistics uh, last month logistics for one of our companies in Indonesia, and now they have grown substantially in Indonesia, and the numbers in Indonesia are two times what Malaysia is currently. Okay, interesting. That was the VC network, Victor. Yeah, um, there are two kind of two 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 kind of examples that that I can mention. Um, I think similar to what what Aptoy um, what Tiago has been doing at the early days, where you create your ambassador program, uh, um, companies like for example, um, obviously not my portfolio company anymore, or Trip Me. I mean, I'm sure Tiago yeah, knows about them. They they grow with the really really small team of twelve people. Um, they have the footprint everywhere around the world because they have their own ambassadors as well, their own influencers as well. Not exactly, um, you know, the formal kind of ambassador, but in each country that they expand into, they have a local supporter who can actually bring their brand, and and to really become the actual influencer. Which is why, even as far as as the United States, even though it's a Vietnamese company, people know about them because they have strong support of of from from the community they have built. The company focused on building a strong um, tourism community that that that's really you know passionate and and that's why people want to talk about it. Things like that goes viral and and when it goes viral, you actually are able to expand much faster. That's the first first um method. The other method that 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 is much more straightforward is just get invested by strategic investors. Uh, uh, um, for for example, um, Travelio from Indonesia, also a Gobi investment that I did when I was in Gobi, and also my current investment because I invested again. Um, I tend to like my companies from 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 my old portfolio. <laughs> uh, uh, um, um, they they are smart in the sense where they actually got funded by 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 property business as well. So 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 for those who don't know, Travelio is similar to Sonder from US. They are a property management startup. Um, they started off as a hotel booking platform and then went into Airbnb model and finally become a property management business. So for, for them, they work with property developers. And, and actually, um, 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 property developers want to work with them because of the fact that property market is very soft in the region right now. And eventually they got funded by by um, um, strategy investors who are the property developers. So with that relationship, they are able to you know tap into new inventory, tap into new uh, locations because they have all this unfair advantage. And and I think I think it's, I think a lot of the VCs would argue that you know having a, a strategy investor in investing into the company at at such an early stage, um, it was a series A round that I did. Uh, it's it's not really advisable. But having us like having Vin Capital, having the VC as the lead investor on that round helps to solve a lot of the conf potential conflict of interest. So that's that's the second method to actually get your clients to be your your investors. And that helps you because 
there is a vested interest in them to want you to be successful. That's a good point. Thank you. Thank you. So, Mike, we have time for one more question, or how we are in time? Uh, if, if you are all okay, let's just wrap up with the final question. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, okay. The final question, uh, yeah. try to um, not be very long about this. So, I think this is an obvious uh, question, right? We talked about the timing, the challenge, and everything. Now, which market, right? Uh, I, I actually gave the example of the Singapore company going to Indonesia because Indonesia is the biggest country, but uh, it doesn't mean uh, that the size is the most important thing, right? So uh, can be the fact that you have already some competitor there or not, uh, can be the talent that you guys uh, uh, mentioned. So just very briefly for you uh, guys, and starting with you, Tarek, uh, what would be like the, the, the top three things that we would uh, look into the market to decide, is this the market that makes sense to go next? All right. Um, I think um, the obvious one would be the size of that market, right? Um, that's, that's obviously number one. Number two, whether they share similar pain points uh, with, uh, with uh, you know, uh, similar uh, in uh, countries within Southeast Asia, right? Whether they share similar pain points. So if you're moving your business from Singapore to let's say Cambodia, right? Where maybe it may be a bit too early, right? So it may not make sense to move into Cambodia at such an early stage because they probably don't share the same pain points uh, with a Singaporean company at this point of time. Um, I think the third one is I think that's essentially the two, the two thing, the two key points that I would think about when you're entering a new market. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Victor. Um, well, for, for, for me, if I, I don't think I can squeeze three points out, um, but I'll just mention from the top of my head what I can, what I can think of. The most important thing to look at, uh, I mean, besides the, the, the points that Tarek mentioned, the size, market size, blah, blah, blah. Um, those are obviously important. But what is uh, also important to, to me is the availability of local support. Um, for example, having a local partner, it doesn't matter if it's, the, uh, it's an investor or not, but having someone to actually bridge you in the sense where they can bring your brand over some business model to yours. Having that kind of local partnership helps to 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 you know carry some of the, the 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 branding that you need to work on. So first point that we need to figure out is whether you have local support, either from your own network as an entrepreneur or from your VCs. Do your VCs actually have investors or, or allies in that market that can actually help you to de-risk? Because we are in a risky game. The most important one of the most important thing that entrepreneurs need to do is to figure out a strategy on how to de-risk every risk that they take. So there's is enough. There's enough H over there. The second thing, then, thing to 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 really consider is is you know, for all these markets, how difficult it is. I I would argue that the more difficult it is, the better it is um as as a market to to expand into because of the fact that it means that the barrier of entry is going to be very high if you can figure exactly. that out. And sure. and obviously that needs to be coupled with the first point. If you have local partner who can, can bring you into that country and it's a very, very difficult market to do, just go for it. Because that means that you won't be able to, I mean, none of your competitors will be able to compete with you yeah. in that particular segment. So these are the two key things I will look at, which comes hand in hand. You can't live without one another. Yeah. yeah. 
you can put a price tag on time, right? If you have that time advantage, like a few years in front yeah. of the competition, it's something that uh, no money can exactly. buy. And beat it. Exactly. Yeah, I think most of it is covered, but I think I'll go back to one of the previous points, which is talent. How quickly you can hire people, before, and it can be either Indonesia talent, whichever market where you can get the right talent, and when you have the right resources and partners, go for it. And the second would be around regulations uh, and barriers to entry. Often the regulations are very different in other markets, in different markets. And if the regulations are comfortable, go for it because you know getting a license in another market may take another year. And the last is barriers to entry. I think that's very important that you're entering a market. It may be tough to enter, but like Victor said, you want to make sure that your competitors do not launch that easy and find it really tough. And all the efforts you've put in to figuring out that market out and launching is totally worthwhile. So these would be my pick. Thank you guys. I think you gave uh, amazing insights and uh, I pass the word to, to Mike. World-class panel, world-class moderation. Congrats, Tiago. Uh, very, very <laughs> difficult to moderate such, such a valuable panel and congrats for all of you. Uh, yeah, we'd like to cover more Asia and to have more scale-ups from Southeast Asia sharing their experiences here in the show. So if you are a post-Series A company who are watching this show today, uh, feel free to reach out to us, info at scaleupacademy.io, and we would love to cover you in the show. So next week we'll have, uh, we will be discussing scaling engineering to be the scaling engineering panel. And we'll have circles.asia from Singapore, for instance, in the panel. So yeah, uh, that's, that's my challenge to you from your side. And it's curious to see that in a startup stage, team is so important for uh, all the investors here present, but in the scale up stage, team is also so important when we are talking about expansion, when we are talking about the leadership team, going from a founding team to leadership team uh, and so on. So it's good to see the importance of team, um, of a great team always present. Next week, we'll have your host back that is now speaking at TEDx and he sent the compliments to all of you. And yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, guys. And see you next week for the Scaling Engineering panel. And thank you so much for, to all. See you Thank soon. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for organizing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.